This is Talking Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talking Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Belinda. Welcome back to Talking Mule Deer. Today we've got someone I think everyone's going to be uh, excited to talk to, Jody. We have our new president and CEO after a year-long search, Mr. Joel Peterson. Welcome, Joel. Hey, it's great to be here. We're super glad to have you on the uh, the podcast, Joel, and, and we wanted to give you a little bit of time to settle into the new role and, and get your feet under you. But uh, you've had about a month, five weeks or so in the position. We're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about your history, your background, where you come from, and and then move into some of your vision and what you're finding at Mule Deer Foundation, why you wanted to come and, and join us here, and and how you see the organization moving forward um, after its first 30 years. Where do you see the organization going in the next? So, Steve, I'll let you, uh, I know you have worked with Joel almost as long as I have. Um, I'll let you introduce him even more, given a little bit of background. All right. Thanks, Joe. And I got to warn you, sometimes Jody can and I can be a little uh, hard on our guests and, you know, but we do try to bring it, you know, make this as, as formal as possible. But uh, Joel, I've known you probably what a decade or more now we've been working. Well, then I beat you. Of- I've known him for 20 <laughs> years. Come on now. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you were formerly with the National Wild Turkey Federation. Why don't you give us, you know, the, the, the short version of your history, your background, your interest, and, uh, then lead right into what really about MDF interests you and made you pursue the position. And let's, I mean, I'd like to hear a little bit about your, your personal background too. So what brought you into the wildlife field in the first place? Sure. Well, I think that's probably the best place to start is back at the beginning. And uh, it, it's great to be here and working with you two more directly now, you know, Jody and Steve, as you said, we've worked together for a long time, but uh, so it, it is great to be here. But I grew up in Nebraska. I grew up hunting and fishing with my dad and with my grandparents and and really, like a lot of us that are in this profession, really grew a love of the outdoors through that. I was also very involved with scouts and uh, was in a very active scout troop. And we went camping uh, every month and uh, had, I had an, 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 had an encounter with a bear when I was in New Mexico at Philmont and that really drew me into uh, saying, man, that was cool. I want to learn more about wildlife. And so between growing up hunting and fishing and then that experience that I had, uh, that's really what got me along the path to uh, the wildlife conservation and becoming a wildlife biologist. And so, Okay. I need to hear a little bit about this bear encounter, right? I mean, you yeah, know. Was he a scary bear? Was he a hairy bear? <laughs> it, well, it was a hairy bear. Uh, yeah. So, um, Philmont scout ranch, we were cooking breakfast one morning That's in New Mexico, we, right? In New Mexico. Correct. Right. We, we had a, uh, a bear come into our campsite one morning while we were cooking breakfast and tried to steal the bacon and, uh, everybody was banging pots and pans and blowing whistles, trying to get it to leave. And it grabbed somebody's pack and took off and, uh, <laughs> we chased it down and got the pack away from it so we could, <laughs> go on but uh you know just being up close and personal with uh some of that big game wildlife like that was 
really my first experience growing up in the part of Nebraska I did. There wasn't turkeys. There wasn't deer there. It was primarily pheasants and a few huns and quail at the time and, and a lot of fishing. Um, and so it, it just uh, spurred in me the desire to know more. And so fast forward, um, I went to school at the University of Nebraska of Kearney. Uh, spent a year at the University of Idaho, uh, learning more about the Western wildlife and wildlife management. Uh, that eventually led to me getting into a graduate program at the University of Tennessee, where I got to follow my dream and study bears and learn more about bears. And so I did a master's degree uh, on that. From there, I ended up going to uh, the state of Florida and working for the state wildlife agency there for four years. And then uh, through acquaintances I'd met through graduate school and through um, working in Florida. I had a number of folks that I knew that worked at Turkey Federation and they had a position and convinced me to apply. And that was uh, just over 22 years ago. I ended up in South Carolina at the National Wild Turkey Federation. Now, Joel, I have to tell you that when you come out to visit me in, in Montana and we, we're out there hunting mule deer or whatever we're going to be chasing in grizzly country, if I, if I show you a track, I better... <laughs> You know, you better get it right because you'd be amazed how many people, you know, even though they take the training, cannot tell a track between a grizzly bear and a black bear. So yeah. with you in the back background with bears and everything else, you know, we're going to test you when you're out here. So. All right. That's fair. <laughs> so when you started with National Wild Turkey Federation, what were you doing? And then I know you progressed through a series of different positions um, at turkeys and ultimately were doing conservation policy work, government affairs, and also helping work with some of the strategic plan, the save the habitat, save the hunt. Tell us a little bit about what you did for your 22 years there. Yeah, sure. You're right. When I, when I came to the Turkey Federation, uh, I think I was the sixth person in the conservation department there and, and came in as a biologist and was writing some of the technical papers that they were producing at the time. But the thing I was really involved with early on was the, um, restoration of the wild turkey and introducing turkeys across the country. And so actually I've thought about it as I was driving out here to Utah. One of the first projects that I worked on was helping to get turkeys moved into Utah, uh, just south of here, down around Nephi, Utah, and getting populations established there. And so it's kind of neat to be back here. And I'm talking with some of the volunteers I work with about getting out there this spring and chasing the progeny of those birds that I uh, helped release out there uh, 20 one 22 years ago. So, well, and you had a great mentor there with James Earl in, in that position. And yep, uh, ab- it, it shows Joel, it, it really does. You know, those of us that have been around a while and have a little gray in our beard, um, at least in my experience, you can tell who was mentored by some of the greats and, you know, James Earl is one of those. And, and, you know, I, I envy you for having that time with him because yeah. uh, we're talking about Dr. James Earl Kenimer, who was the yeah. uh, chief, Chief Conservation Officer, Chief Biologist, I'm not sure exactly his title, but he was the, for before he retired, he was the primary science conservation official for Turkey Federation and just a phenomenal person, incredible biologist, but also very, um, just, a, just a very stately gentleman, wonderful person. Yeah, you, you both gave him the same accolades that I would. He was a great person to work with and a great mentor and and gave me a wonderful opportunity as a young professional to come in and, and grow through the organization. And then uh, had, you know, several others there as well. Uh, Robert Abernathy was another one mm-hmm. who was a good, 
Goodfellow gave me a lot of opportunities. And then uh, more recently, Becky Humphreys was the chief conservation officer. And then eventually the, the CEO that I worked under there. So uh, I had a great opportunity for uh, being mentored by a bunch of, of good people, not only in Turkey Federation, but throughout the community as well, through my broader involvement with American Wildlife Conservation Partners and a number of the folks that have been involved with that. So, Well, and all, all three of those folks that you just mentioned there, I think that's an important part of, of they all and, and the Turkey Federation in general, as with the Mule Deer Foundation, recognize that connection between good wildlife science and good wildlife management and policy. Um, and so I know you, after doing some of your field related work, you started to move into policy uh, related work as well. And, and that nexus is a really important aspect because the work that goes on in Capitol Hill and, and in state agencies, uh, state agencies and state uh, houses across the country, those, those are pretty important. We have to take a break to hear from our supporters, but when we come back, I'd like to get a little bit of a background on some of the national policy work that you did. I know you worked in stewardship related projects as well. So give us a little bit of thought of that. When we come back, we're going to hear a little more about those projects. For the cold, heat, and rough terrain, Zeiss Optics are built to meet the wilderness and the elements up close. And mule deer hunters are going to love what they see. Zeiss has redesigned its entire product line and now includes lightweight precision rifle scopes, binoculars, rangefinders, and spotting scopes that the Western hunter demands. The industry-leading V4 scopes feature 14 new reticle options and scope configurations, while the V6 premium rifle scopes with shot FL glass lead the market in optics and repeatability. The Victory RF rangefinding binocular is the ultimate tool for glassing and ranging, while the Gavia 85 is the leader in premium packable lightweight spotting scopes. Zeiss Optics, delivering peak performance in even the most demanding conditions. If you're buying or selling a trophy hunting or fishing property in the Western US, our friends at St. James Sporting Properties should be your go-to resource. St. James Sporting Properties is more than an elite group of professional ranch brokers. They're also passionate about chasing monster mule deer, highly successful big game hunters, and avid outdoorsmen. When you combine their passion and expertise in the outdoors with their industry-leading marketing program, you're guaranteed to have a first-class experience. For more information, go to the Supporting Partners page on muledeer.org or give St. James Sporting Properties a call today to buy or sell your dream sporting property. All right, we're back. Joel, so right before the break, I was asking you a little bit about your experience uh, working on conservation policy. And also, um, I know that the stewardship component was something that was under you. I can't remember which came first in your uh, your work with Turkey Federation, but but give us a little bit of background on both of those areas of what you did. Sure. As I said, I, I started out working uh, with the turkey restoration and all of that. But uh, as that started to wind down, Turkey Federation started to really focus more on the habitat side of things. And so the the stewardship part of it probably came a little bit first, Jody, but it was all kind of combined because uh, I was pulling double duty for a lot of the time there. So uh, Turkey Federation was one of the early adopters to the stewardship program with Forest Service and helped to get that going and grow that program. And so I was involved in the early days with uh, helping to design that program between NGOs and the Forest Service. And then 
uh, over the years for a while, I supervised all of the folks that were working on that and, and helped to get the implementation done on the ground. Uh, but overlapping with all of that, um, I had the opportunity to get involved with the American Wildlife Conservation Partners as the liaison between the NWTF and the AWCP. And for those people that are listening that may not know American Wildlife Conservation Partners, that's a group that um, it's up to 50 now, but it's been around for, I guess it's in its 21st year. Uh, Boone and Crockett Club was the primary driver behind bringing together all of the like-minded conservation Wildlife um, hunting conservation organizations. Wildlife and hunting conservation organizations together so that we could have a stronger voice on conservation, wildlife-related policy on Capitol Hill primarily. And so I got involved with that and really have been involved with them for probably 15 of the 20 years that they've been around as the liaison. But the policy part of what I did was only a part of my broader job. It was uh, just other duties as assigned, so to speak. Well, and that's actually, I think you and I first met in the early 2000s working on public land access. When I was with the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, yep. what became known as making public lands public, which was talking about Western hunting access where um, federal lands often have, uh, with checkerboard patterns and other things, there are a lot of places where public lands are not readily accessible. Um, people can't, they're there, but because of private land blocking it or other areas. So we were looking into ways to, uh, to increase sportsmen's access to some of these federal public lands. And that's where you and I first started to work that. And on the, I think the shooting sports roundtable um, yep. way back when, and that actually, that policy I mean, that many years ago, it was, it would have had to have been 2003, 2004, maybe. And that right. policy ultimately um, was finally enacted recently in the Dingle uh, Act a year ago, where um, they're getting funding through the Land and Water Conservation Fund, and then also the presuming land to be open, um, those, those types of provisions that were part of what we worked on almost 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that that's a great example of how long that policy process can take. And, and you're right. And that was a, a huge win for all of us that started working on it uh, back that long ago. And yeah. So Joe, what, what, you know, comfort level for me, your background in stewardship and habitat work, because as you know, that's a growing program here at the, the Mule Deer Foundation. And so with some of the staff change that we've had in the last few weeks with retirements and people pursuing other opportunities, um, it brings me comfort that you know what's going on and, and you were there from the very beginning and can help me, uh, you know, help you with the organization and backfilling positions and also expanding that program. Um, when you were with Turkeys, I know that you really uh, sort of spearheaded the Western expansion into a lot of the habitat work and, and the policy work. Tell us, you know, how how you went about that and and you know what the end result was be i know there's they've got biologists and other people throughout the west now and that's probably a direct result of of your efforts correct well i played a part in it you know it's always a team effort to get things like that done and but yeah I, because of my desire to work in the west and my my love for the west and just feeling like it's where i've belonged for a long time i took every opportunity that i could to lead conservation efforts in the West. And, and so growing the pro the program there uh, at Turkey Federation and hiring people to actually do the work out there really curtailed my travel to the West and my opportunity to get out there and, and work with the volunteers. So that was kind of the, the downside of it. But um, yeah, you know, 
out in the West, there was always a growth opportunity for us. And it was challenging for Turkey Federation because people do think about hooves and horns before they think about the, the big feathered birds, at least. Obviously, upland hunting is big out here. Uh, but as as we grew the stewardship opportunities, it was an opportunity for us to come out, work with the Forest Service. Uh, Turkey Federation's had a long relationship with Forest Service in the Southeast and the Mid-Atlantic areas. Um, and we were able to parlay that into a lot of work with the Forest Service in the West. And so it really helped us get our feet on the ground out here, helped them. I'm still working on trying to identify with mule deer instead of Turkey Federation. That's a 20, 22 years is a long habit to break there. So forgive me on that. But it, it was a great opportunity for the Turkey Federation to, to grow uh, into to opportunities in the West. And then that's where the, the growth opportunities were for turkey populations as well. And, and that was really the first thing that we were working on. I, I mentioned Utah. I was also heavily involved with uh, with. Montana as well, and moving turkeys uh, into the eastern part of Montana and, and some of the other projects out here in the West. Well, we're gl real glad you did that here in Montana because starting tomorrow, <laughs> we're going to be out there chasing them. So, um, Jody and I have worked with uh, the Turkey Federation staff uh, for, I think, as long as we've been doing this business. Is that correct, Jody? And, and, yeah, oh, and yeah. Got... No, I way back when, when I was doing Teaming with Wildlife and Kara, NWTF was a leader in that as well. And that was at the very beginning of my career, <coughs> 25 years ago. So, you know, <laughs> that I think with you coming over to MDF, that, that partnership's going to even be stronger, Yeah. you know, because personal relationships do matter. And, you know, what I just tell you is deer have four legs Turkeys have two and wings. So if you get them mixed up, just remember that little. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's got there. that one covered. You, one that of the that things might that, be all I have covered right now, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, drinking from the fire hose in the first month of a, of a big job like this, I'm sure. We've got to take a break again to listen to our supporters. But, um, but I'm going to segue when we get back in here. I know you helped lead uh, some of the strategic planning, the Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt for Turkey Federation which is a lot of outreach and uh, uh, recruitment, retention, reactivation, as well as habitat work. I think some of that strategic planning is also going to be important in helping with what you're doing here. So I'd like to segue into some of that background and how you see that benefiting your work here at Mule Deer Foundation. But we're going to hear from our supporters and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I'm Anthony Imperato, president of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from, made in America or not made at all, and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Go to HenryUSA.com and order our free catalog, decals, and a list of dealers in your area. That's HenryUSA.com. Thank you and God bless America. The best hunting stories begin long before the harvest. They begin with the hard work of conservation groups like the Mule Deer Foundation working tirelessly to protect our hunting traditions. As a proud partner of MDF, Vortex Optics is dedicated to improving your experience in the field by offering you rugged, innovative optics and apparel backed by our VIP warranty, our unlimited lifetime promise to take care of you whenever you need us. Together, let's ensure Mule Deer always have a place to roam. The best hunting stories are yet to be told. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. All right, we are back. And I was trying to bring in and, and, and 
remind folks or, or let people know about your experience with Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt, which is a big program of the Turkey Federation, connection with recruitment, retention, reactivation, which is something that MDF is involved in, and then kind of making sure that we understand how that background in strategic planning is going to help you as you uh, look to the future of Mule Deer Foundation. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Jody. That um, was certainly one of the highlights of what I was involved with at the uh, at the Turkey Federation. I mentioned earlier that uh, the restoration of the wild turkey started to wind down and we got more into the habitat part of that. There wasn't a tremendous amount of direction for a few years. And so I guess it's been about a decade ago. There were several of us that got together and started thinking about what we could do different to really chart a course for the Turkey Federation moving into the future. And after some discussion, we landed on uh, the Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative, which you mentioned. And it was about really focusing the work of our volunteers and our staff and our supporters on uh, good habitat conservation, opening access for hunting, uh, and doing more for the R3 effort that you mentioned. And so I was um, led the effort to kind of initiate that idea. And then once it was established, uh, led the the effort, the interdepartmental effort to do the strategic plan behind how that would be implemented. And that was a, a great experience and kind of an eye-opening experience working with folks from the fundraising side, from the marketing side, the, the um, accounting side. We pulled everybody from all different parts of the organization together. And it was an effort that was led by the the folks that were doing the work, not the leadership. Uh, leadership deferred down to a lower level to the people that were doing it more every day. And so I learned a lot from that exercise that I think will help here um, to bring different parts of this organization together and really focus on the things that we do well, the things that we can improve upon and and to create a cohesive vision across all of the departments. Um, you know, Oftentimes people work in their own areas and they focus on that and it takes a, a real effort to to get everybody to think together. And so we're already starting a little bit of that. Steve can attest. We've started having some uh, building our budget for the upcoming year and we're having a lot of interdepartmental discussions about that and figuring out what the priorities are and where we're going to need to invest to lay the groundwork for moving forward in, in the coming years. So Joel, when, when the MDF job came open, and, you know, Miles announced his retirement at a lot of things that I know you were at. Did you immediately say that's a position I'm interested in and I'm going to go after it? Or did, you know, what really drew you to be attracted to MDF, you know, apply for it, go through the process and ultimately accept the position and move into the role that you're in now? Yeah. So to address the first part of that question first, uh, Steve, I wouldn't say it was immediate that I jumped on it. Um Family is very important to me, and the timing when Miles first announced it just was not quite right. I had a senior in high school that was important for me to be around and, and see her finish and, and move on. Um, when his retirement got delayed because of COVID, the timing personally became much easier, and, and that was great because I was interested in the position Um working with Miles and other folks in the Mule Deer Foundation over the last two decades and seeing the the work that has been done by this organization. And really, I'd say, especially over the last five years or so, the leadership role 
that Mule Deer Foundation has taken in Western conservation policy uh, around the migration corridors issues and that, but but other things uh, that are really important to the West from a policy standpoint. Um, and then the way that Mule Deer Foundation was putting the work on the ground and putting the policy that they were helped getting passed uh, to work on the ground. I think Mule Deer Foundation's unmatched in that uh, in the Western U.S. is uh, turning the corner on that, if you will, and, and making sure that we're putting those policies to work. And so to be a part of that um, is something that really excited me. And because of my background uh, in the policy arena and working on many of the same issues, not so much the, the sagebrush and sage rangelands issues, uh, but certainly the forestry issues meshed very well with what I was doing at Turkey Federation. The landscape scale habitat work is a direction that we've been going for a long time. My familiarity with stewardship and um, working with volunteers, the business model of Mule Deer Foundation, it, it felt like it would be a good fit. And then, uh, like I said, added to the fact that uh, timing right was good for me on a personal and family level. Uh, and then the opportunity to live out a lifelong dream of living and working in the West and dealing working on these issues. It all just came together and it felt like a good fit and really made me excited about the opportunity to come out here and work with a great staff and a great group of people. Well, we're excited to have you, Joel. And um, I know you've only had five weeks. It seems longer than that. If you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's day but, and night. Cause you're probably not sleeping too. Yeah. <laughs> well, first um, of all, didn't you use, if I, I'm going to jump in here as you were driving across from uh, South Carolina to Utah, I, I spoke to you on the phone and you said, you know, I've been using talking mule deer to hear and understand some of the work that you're doing. So, you know, it, it works, Steve. We're, <laughs> we're telling yeah, the organization's we're story. Getting, uh, I'm not just getting criticizing for being mean to Jody, you know. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> I, that's a true statement, Jody. I did. I listened to several episodes on my way across the country to get familiar with the people and the issues uh, more so than I was and used it to prepare for the interview and everything else. So I think it's a great platform to help spread the word about what Mule Deer Foundation is doing and what the issues are. So thank you for getting it started. Well, from our little garage band, Jody, to where we're at today, still in the garage, but you know, a little <laughs> bit more synchronized. Um, we appreciate that, Joel. And Jody, just to, I know I haven't mentioned this to you, but during some of the interview processes for other positions, Applicants are telling that too. They're going to our podcast and listening to find out more so that they can be better prepared to answer questions during the interview process. So I think the intent of this podcast was to really tell the story of what the Mule Deer Foundation does, what our, who our partners are, and how we conserve deer is working. So, uh, so Joel, it's been five weeks, and there's been a lot going on not just a move across the country and all the other things, including a transmission in your daughter's car and everything else, <laughs> um, snowing in, you know, uh, April that you're really not used to snow at all <laughs> in that five weeks. And I'm going to set this up and then we have to take a break. So I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it. in that five weeks. What have you learned about the mule deer foundation that makes you even more excited about taking us to the next level? And then, you know, what are those priorities and things that you are going to take us as a leader to, you know, that, that we haven't gone yet or that we're going to get really better at? So we're going to take a break uh, so we can hear from our supporters. And when we come back, I want you to, you know, 
give us a little reflection of the last five weeks and a little bit of prognostication of the next year or two. Elk, sheep, big old muleys, not a problem for the 27 Nosler. We packed it with more downrange punch than the 300 Win Mag. We designed it to be flatter shooting than the 6.5 PRC. The 27 Nosler is everything you've heard, all that you've asked for, and plenty more. So enough talking. Check out the numbers for yourself and see what makes the 27 Nosler such a beast at Nosler.com. All right, Joel, we're back. Um, so before the break, I asked you to think about, you know, what in the last five weeks did you learn or have you learned that makes you even more excited? And then, you know, really what's on the horizon for MDF? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I have learned a lot. I've probably forgotten half is half of what I've learned and uh, people around here are getting tired of me asking again. Um, so, um, well, that should be a cue. If, if you're getting different answers every time you ask <laughs> The problem is I'm not sure what the first answer was, so I can't compare it, but uh, no, we're, we're getting there. Um, so, but there are staff that do remember the first answer. So (laughs) (laughs) that's right. Um, you know, so I guess one thing that jumps out to me is, is I knew that there was, I I knew several of the staff, Steve, I knew you knew several of the RDs and worked with some of the conservation folks that we had as well. And so I knew that there was some good people that worked here, but I would say across the board, the staff is is tremendous and uh, been a very welcoming staff over the first five weeks here. I Finally, yesterday, I had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time. Um, now I, I have spent time with every staff and talking with them and learning a little bit more about them and kind of their perspectives. And that's been uh, very eye-opening for me to just learn what the different issues are in different states and what people are thinking. Um, I am excited about where this organization is coming out of a really tough year for a lot of organizations. Um, I knew that good work was going on, but I, I did not know the extent of the habitat work and the conservation work that was being done and how well that had been able to continue over the course of the year. So I think we're on a real solid foundation there. Um, financially, we look like we are in a good spot coming out of this and heading into a new fiscal year for us, which starts on July 1st. So that makes planning for the future a lot easier. Um, you know, our events have started to open up here in the last few weeks and people are coming out and supporting us. And even though some of those events have been limited capacity compared to the past, we're making more money than those events ever have. And the net has been great on those. And so I'm really excited about the response from the volunteers. I'm really excited about the efforts of our staff and our volunteers to get those events pulled off. And that's going to help us uh, launch into the new year. So I think there's a great foundation. You know, Miles been here for a long time, and I think he's really left this organization with a good foundation. Um, we got to keep it continuing, particularly on the fundraising side. I think there's still a little bit of uh, unsuredness, if that's a word, about how we're going to move forward on this. But all indications are that we're going to be in a good spot. And so I think, um, you know, 
Another thing that I have been really excited about is the transition that the magazine has taken over the last six months or so. Um, I think it's a great platform for us to tell our story. I think it will continue. And one of the things that we've already done uh, since I got here is we've gotten started on on giving the website a refresh, similar to what we've done with the magazine. We're working with the same company that helped us with the magazine. Uh, and I think once we have that done, being able to tell our story is going to be easier, uh, more cohesive between the magazine, the website, and our social media channels. And so to me, that's very important. Uh, we've got a great conservation story to tell. We've got a great R3 story to tell. Um, I think organizations like MDF can always do a better job of telling that story. And so that's going to be a focus uh, for me is how we do a better job with that across all of our channels and gain more supporters. Um, membership is another important area. I think uh, that's an area that maybe hasn't had as much focus here as it needs to. And so we're going to be talking about ways that we can grow our membership uh, because membership is important, not only for us to get our story out there, but membership gives us more political clout and it helps us to raise funds when we're looking for advertisers for the magazine or for the website and things like that. They want to know how many people they're going to reach with all of that. So membership is important um, for a variety of reasons, but mostly we just want people to be part of our family so that they can hear from us on a regular basis about the work that we are doing and the opportunities that they have to get more involved. So Joel, you mentioned um, a couple of things in there that are really important, but one that hasn't been something I've been too involved in, but I know in discussions you and I have, you put a lot of, of uh, faith and respect and energy into the volunteers for MDF. Um, and, you know, if you just want to touch briefly how you see the volunteers playing into this, you know, they've been great. They help us raise money. They help us do projects. They help us spread the word, but you know, having being ignorant on that issue because I work on the project side, the government side, the policy side, you know, give us what you think really is, is going to attract more folks to get involved and, and the value that you put on the volunteers for this organization. Well, volunteers are the lifeblood of any organization like this without their support, uh, without their sweat equity and without their willingness to, put on our banquets and support us at our banquets and our other events. This organization doesn't, this organization doesn't exist. Um, and you know, that's, I mentioned the sweat equity. That is another thing that really drew me to this organization that uh, I think MDF has done a great job of capturing the opportunity to get volunteers involved out there on the ground and then recognizing that effort. And so I think that's an area we can continue to capitalize upon. And Steve, as you know, with uh, a lot of the conservation work that we're doing, we need matching dollars, but it doesn't have to be straight up dollars. We can get our volunteers involved, get them out there on the ground, and it saves us money having to buy a contractor when we're planting shrubs or pulling fence and things like that. And it gives them an opportunity to get involved. And so um, we'll continue to invest in our volunteers and I think another way that we can do that is to provide them uh, with opportunities to learn skills that will help them in other aspects of their life. Um, we've got great opportunities in our volunteer ranks for our volunteers to learn more about leadership and guiding people and uh, getting involved in you know 
maybe it's the financial aspects of a banquet to some extent that they don't get to do in their everyday life. But, you know, I think bottom line is people are drawn to us because we are amongst the lucky. We get to work on wildlife conservation every day, but there's a tremendous amount of people that want to work on to contribute to wildlife and wildlife conservation. And we can be that conduit to let them expend that energy to do something that they love. Yeah. And we're always going to need someone to help, like you said, pull fence, put fence markers on, um, help with uh, habitat shrub plantings and, you know, piling brush and, and, you know, doing some of the other things that we do, building guzzlers, building other structures. And, you know, I know that, again, that's not a part of the world that I've been, primary in but i know that that help as you mentioned with match and the labor is huge and i look forward to it i get calls every week about folks saying where are your projects i'm coming out this summer to scout the hunt next year and i want to do some work so yeah that's great to hear that's uh, that's a good segue because we do have to take one last break to listen to our supporters but as we come back and and wrap this up and and go into our last segment here. I'd like to get a little bit more specific in some of the things that are coming up just in this coming year, because I know we've just received a notice about some grants. I know we have projects. Let's talk about some of these areas where we know we're going to have some opportunity and, uh, and, and, and try to get our members to know about them and get more involved. So let's take the break and we'll come back and, and wrap it up here with Joel. For three generations and over 75 years, Weatherby has remained dedicated to excellence and innovation in producing quality rifles, shotguns, and ammunition. With 15 cartridges and unmatched ballistic superiority, know that nothing shoots flatter, hits harder, or is more accurate. Carry a Weatherby on your hunt of a lifetime and know you can depend on it to get the job done. At Weatherby, we exist to do one thing, inspire the dreams of hunters and shooters. To learn more, visit weatherby.com. Okay, we're back. Uh, this is uh, has been a great conversation, Joel. We're really looking forward to, to working with you more. And I know the people who listen to Talk in Mule Deer and participate in Mule Deer Foundation events are also looking forward to getting a chance to meet you. Let's talk, we've kind of talked big picture what you see going forward. Let's talk a little bit about what we know. And Steve, you can jump in here as well, because we just announced um, over the last week, we announced that we got a grant from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation through the Rocky Mountain Rangelands um, for some projects that are going to be going on. We just announced uh, the Utah Wildlife, uh, I'm sorry, Watershed Restoration Initiative funding that was over a million dollars that, that MDF was involved in. Let's talk about a handful of these types of projects and some of the things we're excited about for this summer um, for habitat restoration projects. Yeah, so Jody, before Joel, before we jump in, I, I ran the numbers last week just on funding we are going to receive for for conservation issues and projects. Most of it, like ninety percent projects, before the WRI stuff, um, we were looking at bringing two point one million new dollars on board in twenty twenty one. And as Joel mentioned earlier, you know, all of that money was recruited, applied for, and secured during 2020 when we were in a down year for COVID. So I think it's a good reflection of, you know, the value people put in the work that we do in the organization as a whole. But, you know, it's getting to the point that Joel and I are starting to say, well, can we handle that? Can you handle that? You know, well, and, and it's important to that's know that's the position I want to be in is, is Hey, <laughs> well, that's because we got that, too much it, to do. It's, it's new money that, that 2 million is new on top of other projects that are long range multi-year things. So that's on top of our existing work that we're doing. And some of this very much dovetails in with some of that existing work, but it, it that's new money that we've gotten. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, some of it is continuation, like the Rocky Mountain Rangeland is a sec is phase two of the original grant that we got, you know, from NIFWIF that allowed us to start the migration initiative back in 2018. So, you know, the easiest thing to do when it, with a grantor is continuing to do good work and continuing to put the money where they in, intended it to go. And and for us, that's on the ground helping deer out. So, yeah, we and there's. Uh, I mean, we're in negotiations right now with some of our federal partners for probably another two million that will probably come online before the end of the fiscal year, twenty twenty at the end of September. So we're doing really good. And it, it yeah, Jody, you're right. It is new money, and and the stuff that's out there is going to keep going on and continue to grow too. So you are correct. Yeah. Yeah, so Joel, I know we again with the uh, the watershed restoration initiative that was announced. These are some of the close to home Utah projects. Uh, Jeremy Anderson is our regional director there, and I know you guys have been talking about some of the projects. Um, and and Utah is renowned for volunteer opportunities. Do you have any ideas? Have you been talking a little bit about some of those projects? And then there are there other states that we know, um, Steve, where we've got other grants that are going to be coming in where where volunteer help is going to be additive to the project work that's going on the ground. Yeah, there is certainly opportunities uh, in Utah for the volunteers here, and they've already been out in the field several several weekends this year, planting shrubs and things like that. And there'll be more opportunities for that in Utah and. I know um, Idaho, there's going to be the similar sort of opportunity for uh, shrub planting and I think some fence removal and fence redesign, if you will, there. Steve, I'd have to bounce it to you for other volunteer opportunities, but I know we've got a bunch of work that's going to be going on in uh, California, obviously, has been a big state for us in recent years. Uh, Arizona as well. We've got some stuff coming online in Colorado, so uh, the footprint that MDF has got is huge and putting yeah North Dakota Marshall's been really knocking it out of the park up yeah. there too yeah a lot of lot of habitat restoration projects riparian work and fence removal and replacement uh, up in North Dakota well I mean so one of the things that a lot of people don't know about is we're actually putting retired professionals to work as volunteers too so in a lot of our projects we need what we call project inspectors or quality control agents people that have a forestry background, a habitat background that are retired, that want to stay involved, we can use them to go out and be our eyes and ears to meet contractual demands or, or agreement demands that are re, that are put on us to ensure that projects are being done the right way. So, you know, we're getting more of that request. Hey, I've got a, I've just retired from an agency. I'm a forester. I'm a biologist. I'm a range specialist. Do you need any help or leadership on these bigger projects that that you actually need a professional for and that the agencies would be comfortable with? And, you know, I think that's an area that that we can capitalize on more of. But, you know, there are there is a lot going on. I think we have projects in every state, Joel, um, at least, you know, the traditional mule deer states. Uh, we, We are trying to get more black tailed deer projects going. And we're trying to, you know, revamp and, and re-energize some of our work in Southeast Alaska uh, on the Tongass. Um, it's it's a really exciting time. It actually, as I was telling you guys earlier, some of the names and and people are starting to run together from the regions in that because I've been talking to so many people over the last, you know, two, three months that uh, I'm beginning to start to have to write things down, which is unusual for me to keep people separate. So... Uh, it's exciting, but one of the things that we've been talking about, Jody, is 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 you know where's our migration initiative going? Um, 
Joel and I have talked about that, and I want to ask him. And then, of course, you know, the the big idea that's been out there, we've mentioned it on this podcast and in print, is, you know, where are our focus areas? And for, you know, a holding a holding name for initiative is a priority herds and landscape initiative. Joel and I have had some great conversations with our agency partners on that. And I'm just going to kick it to you, Joel, now to see, you know, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on that stuff? You know, what kind of leadership are you going to bring to the table? And, you know, ultimately, how's that going to help deer? Yeah, I think um, that is a, an opportunity for us that's tremendous. I like the work that's gone into it. And it's good to hear the agencies, uh, both the state level and the federal level, being excited about this. Um, I think the work that's been done on migration corridors as a result of the secretarial order a few years ago and the funding that's come from that has been great. Uh, but Steve, as you and I have discussed, there's other herds, there's other landscapes that are not getting the focus that we need. And uh, with mule deer populations in many areas still um, having a lot of threats, being in decline, uh, it's important that we focus on as many of those areas as we can. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that we are investing enough in certain areas that it will truly make a difference on a landscape scale. And one of the challenges that you often have with a widespread species like this is there's opportunities to do little projects here and there all over, but, and they make people feel good, but cumulatively probably doesn't do as much as we could do for uh, deer and the other wildlife and the landscapes out there. And so I think that's an area that, uh, we can rally our volunteers, our partners, um, industry, the agencies behind, uh, and really put a focus, put some numbers to it. And what's it going to take to make a difference here? And I think it can be a rallying cry for us moving forward. So I applaud you and the others that have been involved in getting that started. I think it gives us a great springboard to the future. Well, and we're really looking forward to your leadership, given where you've come on Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt from NWTF. Your, your leadership on the AWCP and, and your, you know, bigger thinking approach that uh, has been at times difficult for folks to understand why it's going to be better for deer and better for MDF members and, and better for everyone by looking at the landscape bigger. So I'm excited about that. It's, uh, you know, finally someone can understand what I'm saying um, <laughs> when we get into right, some I mean, of these bigger discussions. That's so. a little bit of a stretch there, Steve. So. <laughs> All right, guys, we have been talking for, for longer than we normally do, so but that's very much warranted. So at this point, I, what I usually like to do is give our guests one opportunity for closing thoughts and to, to you know kind of summarize your, the conversation or go back to something that we, you wanted to kind of add more emphasis to. So Joel, give us your closing thoughts. Well, you know, we talked about volunteers and the opportunities before, and there's one thing that I failed to bring up, and that's um, the the opportunities around our outreach programs. MDF's got a strong Muley program and a strong history there, but there's also- Muley is our Muley is our youth program, is that correct? Mindful, yeah. understanding, legal, ethical youth is what Muley Thank stands you. for. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we've got a long history with that program. I think there's great opportunities to expand that to reach other demographics and other groups. And I think that's a necessary area to do that. I think it's a good way to bring people into MDF and into conservation in general. And that program is extremely dependent upon volunteers. And it's been um, pretty stagnant over the last year because you couldn't have gatherings. 
Uh, but we are looking forward to getting that ramped up again over the course of the summer and into the fall. And so I think that's another opportunity there. Um, wanted to make sure I got that out there, but I guess just to kind of summarize, um, it has been a great five weeks here getting my feet and probably everything up to my eyebrows wet. No, um, no you were totally wet because like I said, <laughs> sucking from the fire hose. <laughs> yep. it's coming in fast uh, and furious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's been great. It's been really humbling to uh, go from the guy that had all the institutional knowledge in an organization after 22 years to being the guy that knows nothing. Um, and But uh, it's been good. Uh, the people, the volunteers have been great. I've had the opportunity to get out and meet a number of the Utah volunteers. Uh, and that's what I look forward to doing here over the coming months. And I think it's really important is for me to get out as budgets and COVID allows um get out and meet more people, both our partners and, and importantly, our volunteers and one-on-one -on -one with the staff and really understand what's going on out there and uh, continue to build upon the vision that I already have and incorporate the great ideas that our folks have. And really looking forward to it and looking forward to talking to y'all again in a few months about the progress that we're making. Excellent. Steve, any closing thoughts for you? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to spending some some time out on the open range with Joel. I talked him into applying for a Montana mule deer hunt and you know we've been trying to get up on that blacktail world for a long time with with staff and so uh i'm really looking forward to working with joel and um, getting him out and showing him you know the results of the the work that mdf's been doing for the last 30 plus years and and really building on the foundation that's been left to him and and uh you know again with his conservation background i'm excited because you know, Miles had a conservation background. Joel has the conservation background. He's going to, they're going to understand some of these pretty complex political policy issues that we're involved in and, and, you know, actually be able to, to take the right actions and, and, you know, move forward. So I'm excited. Um, and, uh, you know, once we get past some of this, uh, getting Joel up to speed, I think that, you know, it's going to be even more exciting. So and, and Steve mentioned another one of my priorities, and that is to actually get out this fall and get some good experience in this uh, Western rangelands and Western hunting experiences that I'm a little bit lacking on. So looking forward to it, Steve. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for the time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I can't say getting to know you better, Joel, because I, I know you pretty well, but to, to hear again your vision of where you want MDF to go and, and what you see are the great opportunities um, for the organization. So thank you for talking Mule Deer with us. Until the next time, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and thank you for talking Mule Deer. Thanks for talking Mule Deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.